text for the sermon this afternoon is, again, Luke 24, the verses 1 through 12, which we have already read. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, it is now the third day since the Lord Jesus had died on the cross at Golgotha, the place of the skull. It had been a shock to these women. They loved the Lord Jesus so much. He had done so much for them. And they had even followed him from Galilee. They had observed the the death of our Lord Jesus from a distance, standing with the other disciples. They had seen all the, the events surrounding the death of Jesus And they may have seen some of the the crowds leaving Golgotha, beating their breasts, grieving about what they had done. And perhaps they had heard about the words of the centurion at the cross. That centurion who had seen the Lord Jesus die and who had said, Surely this was a righteous man. They would have been in agreement with all of those that, that said that Jesus was a righteous man. And they would have been agreed on another thing as well, that Jesus, the hope of Israel, was now dead. Now that was Friday afternoon. And this is now early Sunday morning. These women had experienced the worst day of their lives on Friday. They had woken up on Saturday morning, on the Sabbath, and as they came to, the cold realization of the death of the Lord Jesus came back to them. Their lives had been shattered. This morning, Sunday morning, was the same. Sunday would be another day where they came to grips with the death of the Lord Jesus. However, this would not simply be another day for them. This day would contain more joy than the previous two had contained sorrow and grief. Soon they would be at the tomb and soon they would be told, He is not here. He is risen. So I proclaim to you the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we find in Luke 24, the verses 1 through 12, under the following theme. Looking for Jesus at the empty tomb. And we'll see three things. The tomb is the wrong place to look. We'll see directions from the tomb. And finally, we'll see responses to the empty tomb. So it is early Sunday morning. Very early. Our text emphasizes this. Literally it says early, early morning. It is barely light out. The women have woken up, if indeed they slept at all, for the very purpose of what they're doing now. The women are taking the spices and the perfumes that that they had prepared on Friday afternoon, and they are taking them to the tomb. 
they had seen Joseph of Arimathea lay the body of our Lord in a tomb. And they knew where that tomb was. And this was their plan Friday night already. As they prepared the spices and the perfumes, they said, as soon as possible, we are going to that tomb. They wished to take proper care of the body of the Lord Jesus. They wished to pay their respects to the Lord Jesus. Jesus, they knew, was dead. Now, they knew about the resurrection. They knew he would rise. But they would have been thinking of the resurrection at the end of time, like Martha mentioned concerning Lazarus. John 11, 23 and 24. When Lazarus died, Martha said, Martha was told by the Lord Jesus, your brother will rise again. And then Martha had said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That he would not be dead now, and that he would not be in that tomb still. That he would have been raised from the dead. Now these were not thoughts that they or anyone else, for that matter, entertained. So they come to the tomb. Now Luke does not tell us what the other gospel accounts do. and That is that they were wondering about how to move that stone. That large stone from the mouth of the tomb. Luke only tells us that as they came to the tomb, they saw that the stone was rolled away. Now the stone would have been a considerable size. It would have been large enough to completely cover the entrance to the tomb. It would, have a, it would have had a channel of, of sorts, a track that it, that it rolled along. And to move it would have required a great deal of strength, likely several men. So the women come to the tomb and the stone is, is already moved. It must have been a great shock to them. Some people, obviously a number of people, had been here already. What did they do? The women go in to the tomb and they discover that it is empty. The body of the Lord Jesus is missing. It must have been a traumatic experience. Where, where was the body? Who would have taken it? And why would they have taken it? We know from, from John 20 that Mary Magdalene was, was weeping as she considered and wondered where the body of the Lord Jesus had gone. Imagine, they were, they were racked with grief over the death of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, his dead body was missing. They thought things could not get worse, and now they had. And as they were standing there, Confused and dealing with grief upon grief, suddenly two men in gleaming clothes were standing beside them. It must have shocked them half to death. Imagine the sea, standing in a dimly lit tomb, looking for a corpse. And suddenly two extraordinary men are standing right beside them. Our text is emphatic about that. They were suddenly standing right in front of them. 
Now, now Luke does not call these men angels till verse 23, but that is what they are. They are messengers from God. So just as the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ warranted heavenly messengers, so the resurrection of the Lord Jesus warranted heavenly messengers. These angels are there to proclaim the gospel, the good news about what God has done. Now the women in their fright, they bow down to the ground before these men. These angels who have come in human form. But that fright, that surprise at seeing these men will be nothing compared to the message that these angels bring. They say to the women, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. They're basically saying to the women, What are you doing here? Why have you come to this place, to a tomb, to look for the Lord Jesus? You've come to the wrong place. You've come to a tomb, but the Lord of life cannot be contained by the grave. If you're looking for the Lord Jesus... That starts with an understanding that He has risen. You cannot come to Christ without realizing that He has conquered death and that He is the Lord of life who gives life. He frees us from our sins and He gives us new life. He died for our sins and then He was raised for us and He now gives us new life. He rules His church He is alive and He is active in us and for us. That is the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not be found in a tomb. And the Lord Jesus Christ did not simply come back to life. No, He was raised from the dead. He did not come back the same. His body was glorified. At the resurrection. He walked through walls. He he came through locked doors. He appeared and he disappeared. And he was sometimes hard to recognize. His actual body was raised. Nail marks and all. But it was a glorified body. He is the firstborn from the dead. He did not simply escape death. He didn't trick death. No, he defeated it. He completely defeated it. And in so doing, he blazed a trail through death. A trail that his people will follow him on. The people of God will follow the Lord Jesus through death into new life. Our bodies, too, will be resurrected. As our confession, the Hudbrook Catechism so beautifully puts it, death is now no longer a punishment for sin, but an entrance into eternal life. One day, these these bodies of ours will be glorified, and we will experience full life in the kingdom of God. 
So the tomb is the wrong place to look for Jesus. Today there are many who call themselves Christians, who say that the resurrection was not an historical event. Jesus, for them, is still in a tomb in Israel. They say that the resurrection was something that the early church came up with to describe a spiritual experience. Jesus, they say, rose in the disciples' hearts. Or perhaps they they had visions of the Lord Jesus coming back. Or perhaps they, they interpreted events in their lives that suggested to them that Jesus may have risen from the dead. Abraham Kuyper, the well-known Dutch theologian who did much for the Church of Christ, tells of his being in university in the 1860s and being in a lecture where his professor announced and pronounced that, that Christ did not physically rise from the dead. And when he said that, the class rose and gave him a standing ovation. And standing with them applauding was Abraham Kuyper. The reason he was applauding, the reason all those other students were applauding, they were saying, finally, a reasonable, educated, scientific man who has the courage to say how things really are. The resurrection is impossible. You don't come back physically from the death, the dead. Now eventually Kuiper would repent of this way of thinking and he would realize that this not only went against scripture but it took the hope out of the gospel. There is indeed a spiritual reality that comes with the resurrection. We are raised to new life. Something happens to us because of the resurrection. But that is based on and rooted in an historical reality. The resurrection happened. Jesus did not remain dead. If Jesus is still in a tomb, if that's where we go to find him, to pay our respects to him, then we have a big problem. It means that life has been swallowed up by death. But that is not the case. Christ, in his victory, has swallowed up death. The living cannot be found among the dead. The tomb is the wrong place to look for Jesus. And so the angels give the women a gentle and a joyous rebuke. But it implies that they should have known better. They're saying, you you have come to the wrong place, but you know he's not supposed to be here. You know where to find him. And so their words do not simply end with a rebuke. The angels continue and they give them directions from the empty tomb. And the angels continue to speak to the women. They say, He is not here. He has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. It's verses 6 and 7 of our text. Their directions from the empty tomb point out that this is the wrong place to look, not so much because of the evidence, because the tomb is empty, but because of Jesus' words to them. The empty tomb should have recalled to the women the words of our Lord Jesus from Luke 9, verse 22. There our Lord Jesus said to his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. The Lord Jesus had told his disciples that he would be raised on the third day. He had taught them, not that he would, but that he must, that he must suffer and die, and then on the third day be raised. So the women in our text are pointed to the word of God. And Jesus, when he met those men on the road to Emmaus, he explained the same things to those men. He said, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The Lord Jesus, too, points his disciples back to the word. And as he points them back to the word, he explains why he had to die. Why he had to rise from the dead. The Lord Jesus' resurrection was a declaration by God that everything that Jesus did on the cross was accepted by God. It meant that the penalty was surely paid and that the payment was accepted by God. Sin had been defeated and death conquered. Sin was was completely defeated and in that defeat, death was caught up in that. The Lord Jesus is that cornerstone that was rejected by men, but whom God raised and made the cornerstone. Christ's resurrection is God the Father's answer to Jesus' prayer. That prayer he said on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The resurrection is the Father's Amen to the, Christ, to, the, to the Son's It is finished. His resurrection proves to all that He is God's Son. As, as Paul says of Christ in Romans 1 verse 4. Christ who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection had to happen. All of Scripture pointed 
to this fact. And Jesus himself taught this to his disciples. So as the women stand in the empty tomb, as they come to the wrong place for Jesus, they are given directions on where to find him. And those directions are the word of God. And they point to the word of God, which points them to Christ. The message of our text rings clear. Hear the word and believe. And we today, we still have the word. We still have what those angels pointed the women toward. We still have the directions on where to find Jesus. You look to his word. You do not look for him in an empty tomb. You do not look for him in the evidence. Although the evidence can help, there are those who will, who will argue from the evidence that Christ indeed was raised from the dead. And those are helpful arguments for us as we counter those who, who challenge the resurrection. But first and foremost, we must look to the Word, to God's Word, God's faithful Word to us. And God still sends messengers that point us to the Word and, which, and who proclaim the Word. God has spoken to us and He does not abandon us when we go to the the wrong place, even when we go wrong, even though we may live in a world where we are lost and looking. The Lord Jesus, the Lord, has given us His Word, and He gives us messengers who proclaim the good news to us that Jesus Christ has died for us and that God raised Him from the dead. And with that proclamation, there is a call There is a call to respond. Now the women, they hear this message from the angels. And our text tells us they remember. It says, then they remembered his words. They recalled the words of the Lord Jesus from Luke 9, verse 22. Now, we don't know exactly what they thought. From the other accounts, we realize that each of the gospel accounts tells the story of the resurrection from their own unique perspective. Each story includes details that the others may not. Sometimes the story is expanded at certain points, and sometimes it's, it's contracted. It is evident from the account in John that Mary Magdalene did not understand what had happened. She still thought that something had happened to the body of the Lord Jesus. And even after Peter and John had left the empty tomb, she was still by the tomb, weeping. Mark tells us that the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and that they didn't talk to anyone. They simply went back to the disciples. And Matthew notes that they were joyful and afraid. So something had happened. And Luke simply tells us that they remembered 
Jesus' words about rising on the third day, and that they came back from the tomb and they told the disciples all these things. And the men on the road, when they reported to Jesus what the women had done, they said they came to them from the tomb and said that the angels had told them that Jesus was alive. Now, their response would likely have been what we read in Luke 24, verse 41. That they may have believed, but they may still not have believed because of joy and amazement. Now, it is only now that these women are named. Now, they are introduced as a group in Luke 23, verse 49 as they watch the crucifixion. And then they're mentioned again in 23 verse 55 as they see Joseph lay the body in the grave. But now we're given their names. And it would help us to consider these women a little more closely. Our text says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. It's verse 10 of our text. Now, Mary Magdalene was from a small town named Magdala by the Sea of Galilee. From Luke 8, verse 2, we know that the Lord Jesus had driven seven evil spirits out of her. Now, there have been attempts to make Mary Magdalene out to be a woman of ill repute and to equate her with the unnamed woman in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. But that does not come from scriptures. And that charge is groundless. What we should note here about Mary Magdalene is that she is not identified in relation to another man. Whenever scripture mentions her, it is simply Mary Magdalene. Which would mean that she had control of her own finances. And she appears to have used those finances to support the Lord Jesus and his disciples. Now, Joanna is mentioned in Luke 8 as well. And she was the wife of Chusa. That's Herod's steward. And she would have been a woman of quite some standing. You could call her part of the upper class. But she is one of the Lord Jesus' followers. And she came and she followed him to Judea. Now Mary, the mother of James, is not the mother of James and and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, but she is the mother of someone who is known as James the Younger. We don't know who James the Younger was, but he appears to have been known to Luke's readers. Now, what is important to know is that these women were prominent among the women who followed the Lord Jesus. They had the means to support him financially, and they were very close to him. They were not a bunch of young girls who were caught up in hysteria or euphoria. No, these were highly respected women, these were mothers. These were women of means. And it is these women who come back 
to the Lord, to the to the disciples of the Lord Jesus, and to report what they have seen and heard. And so they share this good news. The tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. And they would have also shared the words of the angels that pointed the disciples back to the word, back to the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke 9, verse 22, that he would rise from the dead. However, the disciples, including the eleven, they do not believe these women. It's not simply that they don't believe the report of, of the women about the empty tomb and the angels. They also do not believe the words of the Lord Jesus, that he would rise from the dead. Now with the women, their response is not really made clear. But with the disciples, it is made completely clear. They did not believe. Our text says that their words seem like nonsense to them. And the word used here to speak of to speak of the, the nonsense is, is actually the same word that is used to describe someone who speaks when they are delirious. So the eleven basically look at these women, these women who were close to them, who who they had followed, who, who had followed with them from Galilee, they look at these women and they say, these women are crazy. But at the same time, Peter is intrigued. He wants to get a closer look and he runs over to the tomb to see for himself. And our text says, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. Verse 12 of our text. Now the word used here for, for bending over has the sense of looking intently at something. It's the same word that's used by, by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1 verse 12 when he says, even angels long to look into these things. So Peter comes to the tomb and he looks closely at the linen wrapping. Now the linen wrapping would have been confusing to Peter. If somebody stole the body They would, they would not have taken the body of the Lord Jesus out of the wrappings and carried him away naked. Now they would have taken the wrappings as well. So something different than grave robbery is going on here. But there appears to be something else as well. From John 19, the verses 39 to 40, we know that Nicodemus and Joseph had used about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes on the Lord Jesus when they buried him. They would have put the myrrh and the aloes over the body of the Lord Jesus and then wrapped him in the linen cloths. Now the myrrh and the aloe would have soaked into the linen and then they would have hardened. Now what scholars have suggested is that what Peter saw was something like an empty cocoon. It was something that made him wonder. What he saw was likely a hardened linen casing with no body inside. In John 20, we are told that John, the Apostle John, the beloved disciple, was with Peter. Now Luke does not include this. His focus is on Peter. But in John 20, verse 5, John gets to the tomb first and he looks inside and he sees the linen. 
but he doesn't go in. Everything looks fine to him. There is a body in the tomb. But Peter, who comes after John, he goes into the tomb. And it is only then that John goes in and he sees that there is no body there. So in our text, Peter sees this odd sight. He sees the linen and he is at a loss to explain what has happened. He walks away wondering to himself, what has happened here? He has seen the empty tomb. He has seen the evidence. But he has not believed the words of the Lord Jesus. He is in the wrong place looking for Jesus. And he has not understood the directions. Now, the way in which Luke tells us about the resurrection is interesting. And we need to ask why he wrote it this way. What Luke does is he tells us three accounts of people not understanding that the resurrection has taken place. You have the, the women, the disciples, and then Peter. At the same time, the Lord Jesus is absent from our text. We don't see him till, till verse 15 as he walks with the men to Emmaus. We see everybody. We see the women. We see the disciples, the eleven, Peter and the angels. But we don't see Jesus. There is this sort of suspense. This anticipation of, of when will they realize that the Lord has arisen. We observe them and we're saying to ourselves. When are they going to get it? Jesus is actually risen from the dead. We want to tell them to quit looking in the tomb. Listen to the directions. Respond in faith to the word. The reason Luke wrote this is he's making a point to his readers. Luke is writing to people who have not seen Jesus. Luke is writing to people like Theophilus. And he's writing so that they may have certainty about the things that they have been taught. And so what Luke does is he includes these instances of people who should have believed when they heard the word. People who would have seen the evidence. People who would have heard the words of the Lord Jesus. People who would have to have their eyes opened to realize that the Lord Jesus is no longer dead, that He has been raised from the dead. In our text, these people are called to believe, to see with faith. And this is what Luke is calling his readers to do. This is what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. We read the account. We hear the words of our Lord. That Jesus is not in the tomb. That He has risen. We are called to believe that message. We are called to hear the word and believe. 
And there's hope in this for us. And there's hope in this for, for those that we know who are skeptical of the gospel. The responses of the disciples are not what we would have expected. They meet the gospel message with skepticism. Jesus has to repeat the words of Luke 9 verse 22 three times in the last chapter of Luke. He says it again to the men on the road to Emmaus. He says it again in Luke 24 verse 44. The Lord Jesus pursues his people. He pursues them with his word. That is the joyous gospel. Christ is risen. Hear the word. And if you know those who who have rejected the word, who greet the message with skepticism, continue to pray for them, that the Lord Jesus would pursue them, and that their eyes would be opened to the word. And receive the message yourselves. Christ is risen today. He died for us, but he lives still. He has conquered sin and death on the cross. And he was raised triumphant from the grave by God. He is indeed risen. Amen. Let us now respond to the proclamation of the word by singing hymn 33, the verses 1 and 2. And if you are able, please rise.